I love Christmas, and I, I hope you've had a wonderful Christmas already. I don't know what you got as your Christmas gifts, but I did notice one online report that more digital assistants were given as Christmas gifts this year than ever, whether it was Google's Home Assistant or Amazon's Alexa or perhaps you've got iPhone uh, and Siri. Uh, more and more people are using digital assistants. In fact, Google has started something new uh, where you can now ask Google Home, give me some good news. Google decided there's so much bad news in the world that people could stand a little good news once in a while. And so if you ask Google Home, give me some good news, they will only give you positive, feel-good stories. And so maybe you could use a little good news in your life today. And that's what I love about Christmas. It reminds us about the good news the good news of God's love that he sent our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, over 2,000 years ago, and that Jesus died on a cross so that we could be forgiven of our sin and we could be right with God. We could have life now and life more abundantly as Jesus promised, and we can have eternal life as Jesus promised. Friends, that's not just good news. That's the best news ever. And Christmas reminds me that this is not about a religion. Christianity is a relationship. Religion says you've got to work your way to God, but Christmas reminds us of the God who reached down to us in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, God in flesh. That is good news, friend. And that is the good news that has changed our lives. I would think that the majority of you here this morning have turned from your sin and repentance, and you've trusted Jesus to forgive you of your sin. You recognize that you could never earn God's love or God's forgiveness. You could never work enough for it or pay for it, but you, you have received it as a gift, a free gift to you paid for by Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. And because you heard that good news, it changed your life. I know personally that good news changed my life. When I was a 12-year-old boy, and I went to a vacation Bible school for children at a little country church in Lake Park, Georgia, and all that week I learned about Jesus. And at the end of the week, a man who was my teacher, his name was Winston Yingling. Winston talked to each one of the boys in his class individually, and he asked us the same question. If you were to die tonight and stand before a holy God, and he were to ask you, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? And I remember saying to Mr. Yingling, I don't know. And he said, Ricky, you do know because we've taught you all this week. And he went back through the simplicity of the gospel of Jesus, the good news of Jesus. That Jesus is God's son. That Jesus lived a perfect life, but we have not lived perfect lives. We have sinned against God. So God allowed Jesus to be our substitute to take the punishment that we deserve. And when Jesus died on the cross... He was dying as our sacrifice. He was dying as our substitute. He took our place so that we could have God's forgiveness. And to prove that Jesus is who he says he is, God raised him from the dead three days after his death. And he is alive and he hears you now, even if you pray. And I wasn't ready that night, that Friday night at the end of Vacation Bible School, but the very next Sunday night at our VBS commencement ceremony, 
Pastor Frank O'Brien shared that simple gospel message again. And he said, I believe there's someone here that tonight needs to put their trust in Jesus. And I was that one. And that night I did. And the gospel changed my life. In fact, the gospel changed our family because that church also led my parents to the Lord, led my siblings to the Lord. And that became our church home. And we will never be the same because someone shared the good news, the best news ever with us. They took it upon themselves to share that good news. Winston was not a preacher. He was not a deacon. He was not a Sunday school teacher. He was a carpenter by trade. But he cared enough to share the gospel of Jesus with me. And the reason I say that is because all of us in this room have been touched by the gospel if we've trusted Jesus as our Savior. But this world still needs to hear this good news. This world is filled with bad news. This world is filled with brokenness. This world is filled with pain and suffering and sorrow. And we know the root cause of all of that is sin. Our fallen nature. And we know that Jesus is the only hope for our world. And friend, God has not only given us the good news, He's also given us the task to share that good news with others. That God says to the world, like you might say to your Google assistant, share some good news. God says to you and to me and to this congregation, share some good news with the world. It's your responsibility. It's your job to make sure this gospel, this good news of Jesus is being shared all over the world. Now, sadly, many of us don't do that. We don't share the gospel of Jesus. We don't go tell it on the mountain, much less anywhere else. We keep it to ourselves. Sometimes it's because we're too busy. We just don't think about it. We get busy with our own lives and our own families and our own jobs and our own responsibilities and our own hobbies and pursuits and pleasures. And we just don't get around to telling other people about Jesus. Sometimes we don't tell people about Jesus because we're afraid. We're afraid they may ask us a question and we don't have the answer to it. We're afraid that we won't know how to share it right. We're afraid we may mess it up. And so the fear keeps us silent. And then sometimes I think we think it's someone else's job. I'm all for the gospel being proclaimed and Ricky, that's what we pay you for. Well, listen, I'm honored to be able to share the gospel every Sunday morning. I'm honored to share the gospel in my own personal life. But nowhere in the Bible will you find it said that it's only the pastor's job or the staff member's job to share the gospel with lost people. Jesus commissioned all of us who were his followers to share this good news. I mean, we do that in everyday life, don't we? We go see a movie that we just think is awesome, and we talk about it to other people. We go to a restaurant that just, just blows our mind with how awesome the food is, and we talk about it. We share that with other people. We take a vacation, or we get a promotion at work, and we're so excited, we tell other people about it. Well, the greatest thing that will ever happen to you is your salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. And you and I should be telling other people about it. And if we're afraid, we've got to overcome those fears by the grace of God. If we're too busy, we need to reorient our priorities. And if we just don't care, if we're just not really burdened about the souls of other people, then we need to come back to the heart of God. 
In fact, this message is the final message in our series, The Songs of Christmas. If you've missed any of those, go to fcbc.life, and uh, there the audio of the messages are there. But today I want to talk to you about Go Tell It on the Mountain by taking you to Romans chapter 10, verses 9 through 15. Because in Romans chapter 10, verses 9 through 15, we're going to discover that it is only good news if they hear it in time. The gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is only good news if they hear it in time. And in Romans chapter 10, verses 9 through 15, the apostle Paul, who is writing this letter, it's really not a book, it's a letter that he sent to the Christians in the city of Rome in the first century. And he is explaining to them the gospel. And he's answering a question that we don't have time to get into this morning, but he's answering this question that was on the minds of some of those people in the city of Rome, those uh, Gentile Christians. Well, was the gospel just not effective for the Jewish people? Because by and large, most of the Jewish people then, as well as today, do not believe that Jesus is God's Messiah. And Paul is answering the question, no, the gospel did not fail. It is the fact that some people just refuse to believe the gospel. They refuse to put their trust in the gospel. But in these few verses we're going to look at today, he helps us see why this is such good news, this message of Jesus. And then he shows us at the very end of our passage today, each step in the process that God uses to bring people to a point where they can hear and believe the good news about Jesus. With that said, why don't we begin by noticing Romans chapter 10, verse 9. Paul, we're jumping into one of his thoughts here. He says, Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Paul is sharing some good news here. He's saying the good news is if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. We are saved by God's grace. When we put our trust, our faith, our belief in the Lord Jesus Christ and we call out to him for salvation. That word confess that Paul uses in the Greek language in which he's writing is a composite word. It means to say the same thing. So to confess in the Greek, the word is homo legeo, homo, which means same, and then logeo, which is word. So the word confess is same word. To confess something is to say the same thing about it that someone else has said. And God has said that the baby that he sent into this world we call Jesus is none other than Christ Jesus the Lord. The Lord. This is none other than God in flesh. This is the master of all people. This is the king of all kings and the Lord of all lords. This is what God has declared about Jesus. God declares about Jesus that he is none other than the Son of God, the Messiah, the Lord of all. If you'll look past the trappings of just a little baby in a manger, you will see the greatest gift ever given, God's own Son. And if you confess that Jesus is not just a good teacher, not just a, a nice person, not just a great religious leader, not just a good Bible teacher, 
Not just a great example for us to follow, but if you will confess, just like God has declared that Jesus is the Christ, the Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you shall be saved. Because this Christ, this Jesus who is the Lord, went to a cross and He died for your sin. And only God in flesh could both pay an infinite price for the sins of the world, He could do it because he's God. And only Jesus, the Son of God, could die a sinner's death, taking our place because he was not only God, he was God in flesh. He became one of us and he took our place and he died our death. But not only did he die, he rose from the dead. That's why Paul says it's not enough to just confess Jesus is Lord, which, by the way, most most scholars believe was the earliest Christian confession of faith. That How did you know another follower of Jesus before they were called Christians? Because you both would confess, Jesus is Lord. That was the earliest confession of faith in the Christian faith. Jesus is Lord. But not only can you confess he's Lord, you have to believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Because a dead Savior can save no one. If Jesus just died on a cross, was buried, and that's the end of it, and his bones are rotting away in some Palestinian tomb, then he is not the Lord. He's not God in flesh because he could not overcome death and the grave. But we believe that he not only died, he rose from the dead three days later. And we believe it in our hearts. And maybe you're new to the Christian faith and you say, you Christians only believe it because you hope it's true. No. You say, well, you only believe it because the Bible says it's true. No. We believe that Jesus rose from the dead because there were eyewitnesses who saw him alive. The Christian faith is not just faith. The Christian faith is faith based on eyewitness testimony of people who were there. We believe it because his first followers did not believe he was going to come out of that grave. And it blew their minds when he did and it changed their lives. And the majority of them died martyrs' deaths with the confession on their mouth, Jesus is Lord, He is alive from the dead, you need to believe in Him. And one of the other reasons we believe it is because one of those eyewitnesses is the guy who wrote the book we're reading, the the letter to the Roman Christians. His name was Paul. His Hebrew name was Saul. He didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. He wanted to stamp out Christianity at the very beginning of our faith. He arrested Christians, took them to Jerusalem, put them on trial at the Jewish Sanhedrin for blasphemy because he thought it was blasphemous that you would call this guy named Jesus who was crucified by the Romans Messiah. No, our Messiah is going to be a political ruler, a military ruler. He's not going to die on a cross. And he made it his ambition to stamp out Christianity. And if you are going to explain away Christianity... And the preaching and the teaching of the first Christians that Jesus rose from the dead, one of the things you've got to do is explain the radical transformation in the life of the Apostle Paul. How he went from being a persecutor of Christians, rejecting the resurrection, to being the greatest preacher the church has ever known, telling more people in his day about Jesus than anyone alive. How do you, how do you explain that transformation where even he would eventually have his head cut off by the Romans because he would not stop preaching and teaching. Jesus died for our sins, was buried, and rose from the dead on the third day. The only way you can explain it is the fact that he saw 
Jesus alive. Jesus appeared to him physically alive, and it changed his life. And that is why Saul, Paul, as we now know him, his Roman name, is saying, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. The word means to be delivered. It means to be rescued. You'll be saved from having to die for your sin. You'll be saved from the punishment that your sin deserves. You'll be saved from the garbage heap where your life has lost all meaning and all purpose as far as God is concerned, and you'll be saved to a new life in a relationship with God. And how does Paul know this? Because that's what happened to him. That's his testimony. He came to the point, he confessed, Jesus, you are Lord. I believe you've risen from the dead. And Jesus changed his life. Jesus saved him. And that's why we had this good news This good news. Now, confessing Jesus with your mouth that he is Lord and believing in your heart are not two steps. They're really two sides of the same coin. You confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord because you already believe in your heart God raised him from the dead. On February 2nd, 1991, Don and I stood in Gateway Baptist Church where I was serving as the pastor And we were married. After the service, one of my church members came up and said, I've never been to my own pastor's wedding. But that day, February 2nd, 1991, yes, it was Groundhog Day. No, we didn't think about that when we selected the date. Just outside, before me and my dad and the the guys walked in, my dad was my best man. He said, now, remind me again if she sees her shadow. What does that mean? I said, Dad, it's the wrong holiday. This is a wedding. (laughs) But on that day, I said, I do. Do you promise to love, honor, and cherish her? Leaving all others, do you promise to cleave to her and be to her a faithful, loving husband as long as you both shall live? And I said, I do. That is just when my love that was in here unseen by anyone else, became verbal, became visible as we made that commitment. And dear friend, the moment that you, in your heart of hearts, believe Jesus is Lord, and he died for me, and he rose from the dead, and he offers me the gift of his love and his forgiveness, if I'll just simply believe in him and trust in him. And the moment you believe and say, yes, Lord, I do commit my life to you, Paul says you're saved. You're saved from the penalty of your sin. You're saved from a life separated from God. You're saved to a new relationship with God that will change you now and forever. He continues, verse 10, he says, For with the heart one believes and is justified. You see, it's in your heart where you really believe. It's not just head knowledge. The Christian faith doesn't say turn off your brain The Christian faith is not afraid of science. The Christian faith is not afraid of history. The Christian faith is not afraid of evidence. But there are a lot of people who know a lot about God. The Bible says, even Jesus' half-brother James said, the demons of hell know, and they tremble, but they don't believe in Jesus. They don't trust in him. So it's not enough to just have head knowledge. That head knowledge has to be translated to your heart. And Paul says, 
He says, for with the heart one believes and is justified. That means to be declared righteous in God's sight. To be made right with God. The moment you believe in Jesus Christ, you are made right. And it's with the mouth that one confesses and is saved. How do we know you believe? Because you've confessed it to be true. How do you know that it's real? Because you've confessed it to be true. By the way, that's one of the reasons baptism is such a beautiful first step of obedience for every Christian. Because baptism is where we go public with our faith. It's our way of saying, I do. It's our way of saying, yes, I've turned from my sin and I've trusted in Jesus who died for me, was buried, and rose from the dead. And if you need to get baptized, by, by the way, you need to let us know that and we'll schedule it. Because that is a great declaration of your faith. Look at verse 11. This is another reason it's good news. Verse 11, for the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Paul is quoting from Isaiah 28 verse 16 where God says, I have set in Zion a cornerstone. And whoever puts their confidence in him will never be put to shame. And so, so Paul, a scholar of the Old Testament, says this is Jesus. He's the cornerstone. He is the cornerstone of our faith. You've got to put your faith in him. And from there, everything else falls into place. And he says, for the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. This is why it's good news. Everyone who believes in Jesus will not be put to shame. You'll never call out on Jesus and Jesus say, I didn't die for you. You'll never call out on Jesus and him say, ah, your past is too bad. You'll never call out on Jesus and him say, I don't have room for you. Everyone, no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, everyone who calls on the name of Jesus will be saved, will be made right in God's sight. That is good news. I sat in the home probably about four, maybe five years ago now. I sat in the home of a man. I was asked to come and share the gospel with him. His family said, would you please come and talk to our daddy? He's never trusted Jesus as his savior. And I said, I'll be right over. The first question though I asked him was, have you talked to him? Because sometimes people say, I want the preacher to do it. When you need to be telling him about Jesus. And they said, yes, we've all talked to him, but he won't listen to us. And I said, I'll be right over. I went and I sat down in this man's living room. And I asked him, do you know why I'm here? He said, I know why you're here. My family sicked you on me like a dog. I said, no, 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 they didn't sick me on you. They love you. And they thought maybe you had some questions that maybe I could answer where they couldn't answer. And they wanted me to ask you, have you ever put your faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sin? And if not, why wouldn't you want to do it now? And this is what he said. He said, I don't know you and you don't know me. But if you knew some of the things I had to do during the Vietnam War, you would understand why God could never forgive somebody like me. He had lived all of his life in regret, thinking that because he had taken other lives, that God could never forgive him. And we were able to share this wonderful verse that everyone, who calls on the name of the Lord shall be made right with God. And I asked him this question. I said, do you believe that verse? Well, I don't know. I said, no, no, no. You have to answer it yes or no. There, there's no middle ground here. Well, tell me what you believe about Jesus. Well, he's a good man. I believe he's God's son. I believe he did a lot of good things. And I said, so you also believe he's a liar? Well, 
No, I didn't say he's a liar. Well, then why won't you just take him at his word? He said in John 3, 16, For God so loved the world, sounds like everybody to me, that he gave his only begotten son, that's Jesus, that whoever, that's pretty open-ended, whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. In that moment, the light came on. He began to weep. And he said, I never thought that was for me. This is for you. And that man gave his heart to Jesus. And I don't know who you are, what past you've got, what you think is too big for God to ever forgive, but don't call him a liar. He's given you an island of certainty in a sea of uncertainty. You can't believe everything you hear in this world, but God has said, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Verse 12, here's why it's also good news. Here's why Paul could say everyone. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. Both Jew and Gentile are separated from God because of sin. There are, no, there are not two plans of getting right with God, one for the Jews and one for the Gentiles. There's just one Lord of all who died for all, who rose for all, who will save all who put their trust in him. It's the same Lord. His name is Jesus. And we need to put our faith and our trust in him. Verse 13, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Here, Paul again is quoting from the Old Testament prophet Joel. Joel chapter 2 verse 32, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's a done deal. All you got to do is call out on him like a Drowning man calls out to the lifeguard, call out to Jesus, put your trust in him. Don't be ashamed of him. He will hear you and he will save you. Now here's, here's the domino effect. Look at verse 14. Paul starts asking some questions. How then will they call on him? If that's what all of us want. How many of you want more and more people to call on Jesus for salvation? Raise your hand. This is interaction. So yes, I want more and more people to call on Jesus. Great, we're all in agreement. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Now Paul's quoting Isaiah chapter 52, verse 7. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. Everybody wants to hear somebody bring some good news once in a while. Nobody has ever said, get out of here with that good news. No, people welcome good news. And Paul says the greatest thing you can ever do for somebody is to bring the good news of God's love into their life. So that they can come to faith. They can believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's that domino effect. If we want them to call on him, they've got to also believe. If they're going to believe, they have to first hear. If they're going to hear, somebody's got to preach the gospel. And if somebody's going to preach, they have to be sent out to preach the gospel. In order for the final domino to fall, the first one has to be put into play. I was watching some YouTube videos this Christmas. That's what you do whenever you've eaten too much and you're sitting in the recliner 
Watch this video. It's a Christmas video about dominoes. watching a bunch of dominoes fall, other than thinking, these people have way too much time on their hands. <laughs> There's just something satisfying about watching that last domino fall and to realize this is fulfilling its purpose. This person laid it out, or these people laid it out just like this for this beautiful thing to happen. And one of the most frustrating things has to be to put all that effort and energy into a plan for these beautiful dominoes to fall. And it's going so perfectly until ah, then one misses and it ends. It stops. It doesn't finish like it was designed to. The Apostle Paul is writing in Romans chapter 10 because he's saying, I know there are many Jews who haven't believed, but it's not because Jesus didn't die for them. And, and we can't be responsible for them not believing, but we are responsible to make sure they've heard. And he says the domino effect is that somebody has to be sent. And Jesus said in John chapter 20, verse 21, as the Father sent me, so send I you into this world We've been sent with the good news of Jesus. And somebody's got to preach. 
And whenever Paul uses the word preaching, he's not talking about what I do only. The word means to proclaim. It means to declare. It means to share. It's not just relegated to a vocational minister. He's talking about we all have to go out every day proclaiming this good news of Jesus. You are to share the gospel. And I know preaching has a negative connotation. Don't preach to me. So you don't get in people's faces. You don't preach 30-minute sermons to them. But you do find ways to weave in the gospel of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. And his willingness to forgive all who will believe in him. That's preaching. And if we are sent and we fulfill the job of preaching the gospel, then people are going to hear And the Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And only after they've heard the gospel can they truly make the choice to believe and to call out on him. But dear friend, I don't want the domino to stop with me because I failed to live sent. And I failed to proclaim the gospel so that people could hear it and believe it. And call on Jesus. You see, it's, the gospel is only good news if they hear it in time. It's too late if they're dead. It's not good news then. It's only good news if they hear it in time. Just before Christmas, one of our life group members sent a group text to all of our life group. And she said, I had to share with everyone I just led my sister to faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. She was on cloud nine. And as she came over later to our life group and started telling us how that they were just on the phone talking. And she felt the leading of the Holy Spirit to start sharing Jesus with her sister. She said her sister began listening. She said, I've talked to her before. Others have talked to her before. But she never wanted to hear it. But this was different. This time she started asking questions and I was able to give her more about Jesus. And she asked questions. She said, I didn't know how to answer, but I kept going back to Jesus. All I know is this. Jesus is God's son. Jesus lived a perfect life where we have lived sinful lives. Jesus died for us on the cross to take our punishment. Jesus rose from the dead and he'll hear you if you call on him and ask him for forgiveness. Wouldn't you want to do that? And she said, my sister said, yes. And she said, what? What did you say? She said, my sister said, yes. And she said, I led her to talk to God in prayer. And my sister got saved. Man, we were all in tears. Not tears of grief, but tears of rejoicing that another person had come to faith in Jesus Christ. And tears of joy because this group member of ours was faithful. To live sent. Sent by Jesus to tell her sister. And she shared the gospel. And then it was up to the Holy Spirit of God to do the rest. Someone has rightly said, we can't make people fall in love with Jesus. But we can arrange the date and leave the rest to them. To help you do that, I've I've put in your worship folder today something that's called your one-minute message. This is your homework. Your personal testimony can be a powerful example of the transforming power of Christ to others. It doesn't have to be long and detailed. By focusing on three key points, you can share your testimony in just one minute. And the keys to a one-minute testimony is to explain my life before Christ. Then to explain my life changed by Christ. And then finally, my new life in Christ. 
and call on someone to then put their trust in Christ. Your homework is to take this outline and to write out your own personal one-minute testimony. And then here's something else that you may want to try. Maybe whenever you're talking to your family member or talking to a coworker, or talking to your neighbor or a friend and you want to share the gospel with them, just say it like this. Hey, you know, my pastor gave us homework last Sunday at church. He, he asked us to write out a one-minute story of how Jesus has changed our life. And I, I wrote it out, but I want to practice sharing it with someone. Can I practice sharing it with you? Nine times out of ten, your friend or your family member will say, well, sure. And you can share the gospel in one minute. That's your homework. Let's pray together. With your, with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, maybe today you realize you need to rededicate your life to being on mission with Jesus to share the gospel with others. Will you do that today? Say, so, dear God, forgive me of being fearful. Forgive me for being silent. Help me to share the good news with someone in my life. Help me to support this church as we're willing to do whatever it takes short of sinning to reach one more person for Jesus. But maybe today with your head bowed and your eyes closed, you realize you are that person who needs to be saved. You are that person who needs to call on Jesus. Can I tell you, Dad, the greatest gift you'll give your kids and your wife is to give them a saved daddy and a saved husband. Mom, the best thing you'll ever give your kids, give them a saved mom. Give your heart to Christ. Maybe right now you'll say, Dear Lord Jesus, I admit to you I'm a sinner. I believe you are God's son. You are the Lord. And I believe you died on the cross for my sin and you rose from the dead. And today I confess I'm a sinner. And I confess, Jesus, you are my Lord. I'm trusting in you today to forgive me of my sin and to give me the gift of eternal life. I take you at your word where you promised everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And with your head bowed and your eyes closed, if you've prayed that prayer today, I want you to let me know that. Come and talk to me here at the front. I won't embarrass you after the service, but I'd love to know that. Or better yet, use that Let's Connect card or go to fcbc.life and send us a note, your name and your email, and hey, today I committed my life to Christ. I'd love to help you any way that I can. Father, we commit ourselves to you in this moment. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen. amen.